Sorry, old sport, I thought you knew. This is the OK Gatsby colon, is Nick Carraway gay or what? That's I figured the subtitle of the <laughs> podcast would be. Yeah, this is our exploration of mainly that. <laughs> OK, 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 OK. All right, welcome to episode three of the OK Gatsby. Today we're going to talk about chapter three of this classic novel. My name's Kevin. My name is Terrence Hartnett. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so this one was, uh, it's a big chapter. Well, they're all big chapters because there are only nine of them. But this is the first Gatsby party. This is the party, folks. This is what the book is mainly known for, for people who love t-shirts and movies. Yeah, people who love theme parties love this <laughs> Love This, this is the theme they're going for. This is what's happening, yeah. This was built for 19-year-olds. This yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great one. We it's, got, he yeah. He really nails it. We got the party. We got a lot of Jordan Baker stuff. A lot of Jordan Baker stuff. A lot of uh, Nick's personal life outside of these social scenes. Yeah, we get some background on Nick. We get we get Gatsby finally, uh, the titular character. We get a, a Gatsby Nick interaction. A few. It's a it's a big chapter of a lot of the things we've been following all coming together. Yeah, let's hop right in. Right, so he gets uh, so he, it begins with him describing kind of what he sees. Uh, so it looks like he's there's a couple of parties that have, have happened without him being invited. Yes, it seems like. Uh, Nick has watched his neighbor have a few parties every weekend. Yeah, he describes the lemons and oranges coming in from New York, people coming back and forth on the train and the car, uh, Gatsby's car and Gatsby's station wagon. Yeah, there's station wagon. There's swimmers everywhere. One thing I want to point out is, uh, so the chapter starts off, there was music from my neighbor's house through the summer nights. In his blue gardens, men and girls came and went like moss among the whisperings in the champagne and the stars. That's a great sentence, that whisperings in the champagne and the stars. Great. But also, I want to point out men and girls. The phrase women is never used in this chapter. Unbelievable. It's literally at, like all of these parties are 30 or older young uh, men and then probably like 17-year-old girls. Yeah. Or even if they are 25 they're seen as girls in at least Nick Carraway's mind. They're described as girls. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It is, uh, and it's said a bunch. So the big part of this chat, and I don't know if Fitzgerald is also is condemning it. Like we are seeing it as kind of weird now, especially with what's going on 2018, 2017. 2017 and 18. Um, but it's definitely, it's older men tr- flirting with young girls. And yeah. all the romance that young girls bring, the inexperience. And I think that's like gets to the heart of what Gatsby is also about is Gatsby's trying to get back Daisy, who he knew as like an oldest 18 year old girl. Right. Um, so it's they're trying. These men are trying to find these young women. They can Im- kind of impose their own personalities onto them. Yeah. Gatsby's in love in love with a 17 year old girl, too. The memory He's, of yeah, Daisy. A 17 year old memory um, and not the 23 year old failing mom <laughs> of a very rich man. Yeah. Jeez. Um. But yeah, there's a lot of great physical uh, just description. Uh, of course, yellow comes up all the time in this chapter. That's the big thing that high school teachers like. <laughs> I don't really care about the yellow, but yeah, it's mentioned a bunch, and it's like oh, I, I don't know. Color color analysis is never that exciting to me. Like yellow means one thing all the time, uh, and it's what new life or what is it like the. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> Moving on. Moving Nick on. Nick Carraway's bisexual. Stay tuned. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I really like um, 
the description of this part. I'm going to go line by line of just like this is Nick's description of the average party. So by 7 o'clock, the orchestra has arrived. No thin five-piece affair, but a whole pit full of oboes and trombones and saxophones and viols and cornets and piccolos and low and high drums. So that's usually missing from your average Gatsby party thrown today. <laughs> it's a whole orchestra. <laughs> yeah. Step it up, frats. It's usually a DJ with like <laughs> some trap music <laughs> and then people drink wine. <laughs> and that's a Gatsby. And they wear like an old dress and uh, those, those stupid uh, flapper wigs. Yeah, with the fringe. The black headbands. Yep. Uh, the last swimmers have come in from the beach now and are dressing upstairs. The cars from New York are parked five deep in the drive, and already the halls and salons and verandas are gaudy with primary colors, and hair shorn in strange new ways and shawls beyond the dreams of Castile. I don't know who Castile is, but that's... Darn <laughs> it. He dreamed about shawls. I didn't <laughs> look that... That's one of the ones I didn't look up. The bar is in full swing, and floating rounds of cocktails permeate the garden outside until the air is alive with chatter and laughter and casual in- innuendo and un- introductions forgotten on the spot and enthusiastic meetings between women who never knew each other's names. Women, Kev. <laughs> missed that one. It's pretty uh, – there's a few things. Like at the end when he goes like – of this chapter, he goes like, dishonesty in women is never a thing to blame. Like, I know. Nick Carraway is kind of dismissive of women. Yeah. Well, it's, Not I mean, kind of very dismissive. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean like if you want to defend Nick Carraway, and uh, sure, I'll take a swing at it. I mean like he's – He's describing kind of the kind of vapid uh, social climber type of women who would go to a party like this. I mean, the men aren't portrayed much better either. Yeah. But it, it, the women are uh, portrayed as uh, there's some stereotypical behavior. And these girls are essentially all 19. And it's, right. <laughs> it's just like a college party. This is party. a college party. Yeah, this is a college party. It's a party. college party where 40-year-old Hollywood producers are invited. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And they get and they're going, oh my god, good to see you, like yeah. that kind of. It is a stuff. funny kind of roast of uh, enthusiastic meetings between women who never knew each other's names. Like, yeah, yeah I have seen that in real life. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, with every. Never mind. Let's not be stereotypical. <laughs> the lights grow brighter as the earth lurches away from the sun. It's a great way to say, oh, I got night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lurches away from the sun. And then now the orchestra is playing yellow cocktail music. There's yellow again, and the opera voices pitches a key higher. Laughter is easier minute by minute, spilled with prodigality, tipped out at a cheerful word. The groups change more swiftly, swell with the new arrivals, dissolve in form in the same breath. Already there are wanderers, confident girls who weave here and there among the stouter and more stable, become for a sharp, joyous moment the center of a group, and then excited with triumph, glide on through the sea change of faces and voices and color under the constantly changing light. So that's a fun image of just like, the wanderers who like go group to group, go, hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah me. All yeah, right, that's how I party. Uh, yeah, I'm more, I'm more like a look at me. All right, see ya. Everyone, it is looks, funny everyone looks at me. Uh, everyone else is stouter and more stable. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're too resistant to move. <laughs> also, and this is a, I really like this last paragraph. Suddenly, one of these gypsies in trembling opal seizes a cocktail out of the air, dumps it down for courage, and moving her hands like Frisco dances out alone on the canvas platform. A momentary hush. The orchestra leader varies his rhythm obligingly for her, and there is a burst of chatter as the erroneous news goes around that she is Gilda Gray's understudy from the Follies. The party has begun. So one that's funny that the, like, I can very much picture this woman. It's a party. Everyone's on the lawn. Everyone's going group to group, kind of laughing, and everyone's drinking. And then one brave woman walks out into this very nice dance floor while the orchestra plays. And starts dancing badly to the music. 
But the orchestra leader is like, all right, well, (laughs) we have to get this party started, so maybe let's switch up the rhythm. (laughs) Just to match her bad rhythm? That's hilarious. Yeah. So uh, that is a very vivid description of a very funny scene. Uh, which And that's like a lot of the book's greatest accomplishments is just that. A very vivid description of very funny or human scenes. I know. It's like it's yeah, it's like it's like in a comedy movie, like the things you'd see like, you know, like in like a montage, like the like the funny party scenes. But he's describing them like later. We're going to see something that's like so hilarious. The yeah. Guy, the, I, the guy with the car. Everyone thinks of it as a very poignant book and very sad book, but also has a huge sense of humor. And, like, people don't realize he's being funny just because it takes so many words and comedy is brevity, but he's describing yeah. something that's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny like scene. Yeah. a drunk girl at this very rich party goes out onto the middle of dance floor alone and then dances like an idiot. Yeah. And but, it, yes. She's Gilda Gray's understudy from the Follies. Everyone just assumes she's a famous person, so everyone's like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> look at her. Look at her go. <laughs> she's doing great. The Emperor has no dance moves. <laughs> um,. Okay, I looked up Gilda Gray. Uh, Gilda Gray, fun fact, she is an immigrant from Austria-Hungary who invented the shimmy. Oh, no way. She invented the shimmy. Uh, and that's what was the – the Follies is kind of like a vaudeville act that you'd go see. Like, you say, like, women dancing or whatever. So, I guess I, – I don't know. So, sh- this is like – this woman goes out and dances like Britney Spears, but badly. So, the orchestra has to <laughs> – so that's hilarious. She ought to be a good dancer, yeah. And the other thing that someone pointed out, and this is I, sometimes I look at um, I look at the gene, genius anal- analysis of the Great Gatsby, which is open source; anybody can annotate it. So there's like yeah. there's some dummies on there, sure. Yeah. But this was like linked to Gilda Gilda uh, Gilda Gray's Wikipedia page, and she's a immigrant from Austria Hungary who like really made it as like a you know like an actress performer in, in America. So like she's like an example. Like the fact that she's listed, she's like you know she's the American dream. Yeah, so she made it as a dancer, but also it's like this woman just goes dancing and everyone is so ignorant. They're like, oh, that's a vaudeville dancer over there. Yeah. <laughs> but she's bad. <laughs> she's bad. Yes. Um, and then there, there's an interesting part here. Um, I, uh, so Nick goes, uh, this is no, so that's just the average party that Nick watched. And now this is the party that Nick's invited to. I believe that on the first night I went to Gatsby's house, I was one of the few guests who had actually been invited. People were not invited. They went there. They got into automobiles, which bore them out to Long Island, and somehow they ended up at Gatsby's door. Once there, they were introduced by somebody who knew Gatsby, and after that, they conducted themselves according to the rules of behavior associated with an amusement park. Sometimes they came and went without having met Gatsby at all, came for the party with a simplicity of heart that was its own ticket of admission. I had actually been invited. So he's insistent. That's a big thing to him. Yeah, he's very polite, and he, yeah, he's happy he was invited. He's very polite, but he also is like, I belong here. Like, everyone else, he's not from the East Coast. So yeah. everyone else felt like they deserved to be here because they knew a guy who knew a guy, and they didn't even care if there was the host. And this Midwestern boy is yeah. happy to have been invited by the host. But he's also, I think he takes a lot out of the fact that Gatsby wanted him there. Yeah. Like, he was like, none of these people... Which is also setting up the the end of the book where no one goes to Gatsby's funeral, mm-hmm. but him. But he's really setting up like I'm supposed to be. Like I know these people are rude, and I'm kind of describing them as like careless, like party seeking idiots. I yes, I'm also there, but yeah. because I followed the rules of convention, and the man I am interested in wanted me there, so I have every right. Don't blame me for all this nonsense. <laughs> I was invited. Yes, he's he's very insistent that. 
And he almost is kind of like, man, I was actually invited. Right, right. He's definitely looking down on these people. I mean, like, you can if you can't hear from the description of their, like, you know, wacky, drunken behavior, yeah. he's looking down on them a little bit. He's very scold. He's like a kind of a scold where it's like, yeah, no one's invited. So that means, like, you don't have to really worry about <laughs> it. Also, like, why ain't you gone before? <laughs> yeah, Whose right. neighbor has a giant party? And then you go, I better not. Fair point. Right. He sees people coming and going. So almost he's the perfect party crasher for Gatsby's parties. Yeah. He lives next door. Yeah. Gatsby would not mind. And I think Gatsby was even like amazed he had to invite yeah. his neighbor because it was a while. He's like, I've been meaning to call on you, but I've been busy with gangster stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't say it in the telegram. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing gangster shit. So I got <laughs> I couldn't talk to you. But I bet he's like, why doesn't my neighbor come over here? <laughs> It's like, what kind of weirdo is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. He's close enough to wa- to get specific descriptions of the party, but not go. Yes. Um, let's see here. So he's looking yeah. for Gatsby at the party like a polite boy. He wants to say hi to the host, right? That's what we're seeing next. Yes. But, and then this is interesting. Dressed up in white flannels. I, so he wore a white suit to this party. A white flannel suit. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird <laughs> oh my neighbor invited me to a party time to wear all white <laughs> maybe to show like i am innocent of all this like sin and degradation oh finish woman prepare my white flannels <laughs> uh but also yeah i went over just on a letter after seven and wandered around rather ill at ease among swirls and eddies of people i didn't know um and then he noticed some people you saw on the comedian train there's english people Every once in a while, Europeans are mentioned. Germans yeah. and English are mentioned a lot. Yeah. Gatsby just, because everyone assumes he's a German spy or a cousin of a German royalty. And I tried to figure out why Germany. Yeah, I know. Maybe it's just because like, we fought Germany in the recent war and Germany's still kind of mysterious. Well, they're the enemy, so he'd be spying for them. It's seen as like the most mysterious of the Europe's, definitely at the time. Yeah. Because like, England and Italy had been figured out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we know Italians are the little boys who sell us fireworks in the, in. Ash Valley. So, yeah, the English people are trying to um, get money from these Americans. Um, let's see here. The uh, the only place in the garden where a single man could linger without looking purpose. <coughs> oh, so he goes off to the cocktail table. Oh, I've been there, Nick. Yeah, so he's feels uncomfortable at this party, goes off, just stands next to the cocktail table. Um, and then I was on my way to getting roaring drunk from sheer, sheer embarrassment when Jordan Baker came out of the house. That's the thing that's another interesting this is a third time in three chapters that Nick is drunk or had quite a few drinks. Yeah. Uh, first chapter, he has two glasses of wine. Next chapter, he drinks two bottles of whiskey. <laughs> this one, he uh, is drinking cocktails alone at this party at seven. And like then he sees Jordan. It, it's yeah. assumed that it takes a little bit for him to see Jordan. Um but also, like he said, like I've only been drunk twice. Yeah. So that means liar. he's always like buzzed constantly, or he is a liar. He's like trying to show how innocent he was of this whole catastrophe. Yeah. Well, he's definitely yeah. He definitely removes himself of any blame constantly. But yeah, I think he means like drunk, drunk. I guess when he says drunk, I mean there's the, I think there's that's he's so something. obsessed with making sure no one sees him as part of this East Coast degradation. Yeah, he wants to be separate. He he, he not only it's not it's not he's like socially separate. He removes himself. Yeah, he goes off to the cocktail yeah. party so he could, a table so he could be alone. Um, he doesn't go to the parties unless he's invited because he doesn't want to be like an East Coast person who just goes to parties without invited. Um, he always like he didn't want to go to the party uh, with Tom, and that's more fair. That's, that's true. That party was worse. Let's that be was honest. A weird party. Yeah. Um, 
two very different parties. He wanted to leave the whole time. He kept being like, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. I got to go. always keeps saying, like, I think all this is bad, and I always thought all this was bad. So, you like. Yeah. But he's always participating in he's it. He's always there for hours. Yes. Um. So there's Jordan. So he is a, he's basically a drunk. He lies about his drinking. He's drinking. He's a drink. He's a drinker. He's a drunk. <laughs> uh, and I'm drunk. I'm not drunk. <laughs> um, he sees Jordan. He's happy to see her. But that comes from more of a place of familiarity. To, uh, and a place happy to see anybody he knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, welcome or not, I found it necessary to attach myself to someone before, before I should begin to address cultural remarks to the passerbys. Hello, I roared, advanced retorter. My voice seemed unnaturally loud across the garden. I thought you might be here, she responded absently as I came up. I remembered you lived next door to. Uh, she held my hand personally as a promise that she'd take care of me in a minute and gave her to two girls in twin yellow dresses. So there's yellow again. Yellow is all over this chapter. Yeah. We stopped at the foot of the steps. Hello, they cried together. Sorry you didn't win. That was for the golf tournament. She had lost in the finals the week before. You don't know who we are, said one of the girls in yellow, but we met you here about a month ago. You've dyed your hair since then, remarked Jordan, and I stared, but the girls had moved casually on, and her remark was addressed to the premature moon, produced like the supper, no doubt, out of a caterer's basket. That's and cute. With that's cute, but almost too cute. Oh. He's like, I bet the moon was even brought here by the caterer. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm you're a little twee young man. <laughs> a, little, a little precious. Okay, but Jordan Jordan Baker, That's a. this is like a diss, right? You dyed your hair since then? Um, I think... It seems like it is. I don't understand enough about the culture. Then I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know Jordan. It's hard to get a read on Jordan because basically all I said is that she's kind of cold and she's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. a golf champion. Um, these girls remember her and think of her as important because she is a celebrity a little bit. She's a golf champion. Yeah, yeah. It isn't interesting that she lost the finals. I wonder if there's anything to that where they had her lose and everyone has to say, "I'm sorry, you lost." Um, because that, I'm sure that like, that may be why she says you've dyed your hair since then. Like, oh, you're not a natural blonde. Oh, gotcha. It's like a, like a, like a slight, a, here's a slight for you. you it's like, Hey, I'm slight. sorry you lost the finals. And she's like, I'm sorry. You're not a natural blonde. Yeah. You idiot. <laughs> yeah. It must be. Yeah. It's an insult. Like based on the context, it seems like an insult. Um, also if I may, I don't know. This is something I thought of how famous are female golfers. How famous are golfers? Not very famous. I mean, back then, like, people loved all kinds of athletes. Like, people loved a horse. <laughs> <laughs> What's it, like Seabiscuit or something? Is yeah, Seabiscuit. That, that was uh, the craze that swept the nation. Okay, yeah, right. So you were reading about all kinds of sports. but I, just, I, I like I think golfing, golfing was a bigger deal. Even women's golf was a bigger deal. Bigger deal. Among high-class people, too. Yeah, she's. I don't think she's the biggest athlete. It was like boxers were the only, like, huge athletes back then. Okay, yeah. But even Tom was, like, a national figure before his football. Yeah. Right, people know about, yeah, Tom. And that was a Yale football player. Yeah, but she's kind of, I mean, like, well, well right. From context we can gather, she's kind of famous. Because people are following her career and they recognize, you know, like people are following her career enough to, like, recognize her and know that she lost in the finals. Yes. Um, yeah, these girls knew about it. These, like, ditzy party girls were right. like, hey, the <laughs> the women's golf finals. <laughs> <laughs> Got to tune in. I don't want to be alienated at this party for not knowing. All right. Um, so this is a tender moment. With Jordan's slender golden arm resting in mine, we descended the steps and sauntered about the garden. A tray of cocktails floated us through the twilight, and we sat down at a table with the two girls in yellow and three men, each one introduced as Mr. Mumble. 
So maybe one that's a joke. If, uh, he's he didn't catch their name. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the yellow is just like everyone here is like bright and fancy, but there's nothing beyond it. Uh, it's just like a very warm color that will go away very easily. We agreed. No color analysis. I thought. Uh, yeah. No thought color we, analysis. I thought we. I thought we agreed. Um, let's see here. Uh, Red is like blood. Um, there's a funny line. I like this one. Nick is so catty at every conversation. Uh-huh. The last one was the one I met you at. Answer the girl in alert, confident voice. She tuned to her comp- companion. Wasn't it for you, Lucille? And then Nick says to himself, it was for Lucille, too. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's so impatient with just basic conversation. <laughs> yeah, disdainful again of these people. Yes. Uh, I like to come, Lucille said. I never care what I do, so I always have a good time. That is such a good big line of what the whole class of people that Nick is dealing with. I never care what I do. So I always have a good time. Oh, my God. So these are people that don't are content to be driftless and just be absorb the energy of whatever's around them. Yeah, and also they don't care what they do. They don't care about their actions. And that's, yep. that becomes very obvious. They don't care about what they, you know. It's just driftless narcissists and hedonists who can hurt whoever um, doesn't matter. There's no consequences. Uh, so when I was here last, I tore my gown on a chair, and he asked me my name and address. Inside of a week, I got a package from Croyers with a new evening gown in it. Did you keep it, asked Jordan? Sure I did. I was going to wear it tonight, but it was too big in the bus and had to be altered. It was gas blue with lavender beads, $265. So there's two things about that passage. One, it's weird that he bought this girl a dress. Yes. Gatsby just bought a stranger girl a dress. I looked up how much uh, that much money is. Thank you. Oh, my God. Two sixty-five. Two dollars $265 would be the equivalent of buying a stranger a $3,700 dress. Oh, my God. Yes, it's very expensive. Here's a used Honda CRV. Thanks yeah. for coming to my party. <laughs> Thank you for coming to the party. <laughs> Sorry, by your accident, you. Cut Sorry, you scratched your your old Honda CRV. Yeah. My God. Um, the other thing is, I looked up the store Croyers, um, to see if that's an actual store. It's loosely based on, uh, just like a jewelry store in New York, but also Croyer or Croyer is a reflexive verb in French. It means to believe something about oneself. And usually, and the common phrase in French is, uh, it's like, croyer el rue, to believe yourself to be king. Oh, nice. And uh, that's clearly what Gatsby does. Yeah. he. Yeah. Everything about Gatsby is what you believe about yourself. Self, yeah, self-made man. Self-made man. And also, all these people believe that they belong here. Yeah. He has more trouble with anybody, she says. That's, what, that's why he bought the dress. He has more trouble with anybody. Meaning what? That he doesn't want... That's not, he, uh, no one's saying anything bad about him. Right, no ill will. He's a well-liked man. So we, and then, we're getting, then we're getting into the, some Gatsby rumors. Here's where we get the... Uh, the I, it's more that he was a German spy during the war. He killed a man. Yeah, somebody told me that he thought he killed a man once. Which is like... That's like always a great rumor. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a murderer. If you don't have like a murdery edge to you, you cannot be a man of intrigue. <laughs> no one's ever like... I heard he shoplifted once. Yeah. <laughs> No one cares. It's a very people will even forgive a murderer. They're going to his party. You want? Yeah, they I, believe I love this that. man is a murderer, and they're like, I still want to go to his party though. I mean, yeah, <laughs> they're so forgiving of murder. <laughs> <laughs> O.J. Simpson throws great parties. <laughs> I mean, he went to the Bills playoff party. Uh, yeah, and geez. he was well liked there. Uh huh. 
I don't think it's so much that, argued Lucille skeptically. It's more that he was a German spy during the war. Uh, one of the men nodded in confirmation. So one of the three mumbles. Yeah, so the women are noticeable but annoying, and the men are insignificant and all the same. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we get no character. I mean, there's the undergraduate we see a little bit, but he gets a little bit of a characterization, but almost nobody gets. Almost no man is important. Yeah. All women get lines of dialogue. Men are just kind of like blah, 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 blah. Interesting. So men are the, like, men are, women add to the party. Men just sort of, like, are placeholders at the party. Yeah. But he doesn't like the women at the party. So they get a, he, they get all his derision. Uh, but men just don't even get noticed. Um, okay. So I heard that from a man who knew all about him. Grew, him up, grew up with him in Germany. So that's – and then, then the previous chapter was mentioned that he was a cousin of Kaiser Wilhelm. Kaiser Wilhelm. So Germany – something German is about Gatsby. Uh, maybe it's his rigis- rigidness. Like his – um, like he definitely seems European to everyone. Yeah, how rigid he is, how formal he is, um, just the nature of his secrecy, and maybe that's just what America was at the time. That they're they, the enemy. Yeah, I think it's they're the enemy. He's probably vaguely Germanic anyone who's looking. secret that's probably hiding some sort of right. It's like the, Russians in the fifties. The worst thing they could think of was that he was a German spy. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. It is like. During the Cold War, everyone was... Every suspicious thing This guy's too good. Is he a Russian spy? Yeah, is he a Russian spy? Um, Right, Uh, so these rumors, which we're going to see a lot of. I like this. Oh, no, said the first girl. It couldn't be that because he was in the American Army during the war. As her credulity switched back to her, she leaned forward with enthusiasm. You look at him sometimes when he thinks nobody's looking at him. I'll bet he killed a man. So twice... uh, Everyone's like, he killed a man. So it's like, he's German or a murderer? Yeah. Also, later, Nick Carraway does look at him when no one, when he doesn't think anyone's looking at him. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty nice moment. Yes. Um, so we all turned around. We t- all turned and looked around for Gatsby. It was testimony to the romantic speculation he inspired that there were whispers about him from those who had found little that it was necessary to whisper about in this world. Very subtle. I love that sentence. These people don't whisper about much. They're loudmouthed, they're obnoxious, but about Gatsby, they're referential, they're secretive, they're speculating. But also it impresses Nick. Yeah. Nick refuses to buy into East Coast like flim flam gossip. Yeah. But that it's about Gatsby is very appealing to yeah. him. Yeah. Not only does it make him Gatsby more interesting, he respects Gatsby that there's gossip about mm-hmm. him. So there's really a, a deep... He hasn't even met Gatsby yet, but he already has this deep sort of fascination with him. Um, let's see what else is going on. All right, so this is kind of funny. Um, she He goes to eat dinner with Jordan and her date. Uh, there were th- three married couples in Jordan's escort. A persistent undergraduate given to the violent... Given to violent innuendo. <laughs> and obviously under the impression that sooner or later Jordan was going to yield him up her person to a greater or lesser degree. God. So this, like, 20-year-old dude. So another, like, a, a really objectionable young man. <laughs> Bro, yeah. We got a violent innuendo. Jeez. Is on a date with a golf champion. Yeah. <laughs> and is like, you know what? I'm a really going to I'm gonna bang this golf champion. <laughs> and I'm going to do it at dinner with everyone around. Violent innuendo. Violent innuendo. Come on. So he is, like, not subtle at all. Come on, yeah. Um. I want to, they get they go into the house. I like this part's amazing to me. They go into that right. They uh, yeah. Let's get out. Too polite for me. So yeah, that table is the West Egg, and that table's not having any fun because they're they have to pretend that they're proper. Um, 
to not not look like East Eggers that are wild party animals, but still intrigued by the party in general. Oh yeah, they uh, let's get out. Whispered Jordan after a somehow wasteful and inappropriate half hour. This is much too polite for me. Uh, we got up and she explained that we were going to find the host. I had never met him, she said, and it was making me uneasy. The undergraduate nodded in a cynical, melancholy way. So the undergraduate is like, oh, I lost. <laughs> yeah. Cynical and melancholy. We get into the library, a high Gothic library paneled with carved English oak and probably transported complete from some ruin overseas. So now Nick is like making speculation about Gatsby too. Yeah. He's usually very clinical in his description, like this is what it is, and now we're saying probably this is what I bet. This moon is probably from the caterer's basket. <laughs> Something about Gatsby lends Nick, even Nick, to romantic speculation about these Yes, things. yes. Nick is getting into it, right? So then, then we meet this stout, middle-aged man with enormous owl-eyed spectacles, sitting somewhat drunk on the edge of a great table, staring with unsteady concentration at the shelves of books. As we entered, he wheeled excitedly around and examined Jordan from head to foot. And he asks, what, you, what do you think? About what? About that. The bookshelves. As a matter of fact, you didn't even bother to ascertain. I ascertained they're real. So he can't, this guy can't believe that the books are real. Are real. Yeah. Um, what do you, why do you think he has owl-eyed spectacles? Do you think he's supposed to symbolize... Right, hit me. Education? Hit me. I don't know. I mean, like, I know he's got some high-minded thing. I'm, I mean, like, I'm sure there's some uh, grand symbolic thing. I'm just happy that someone's kind of like being a little bit cynical at this party finally yeah i mean honestly it's like someone's poking poking at the veneer of gatsby a little bit like that's what made me happy with this thing is like yeah someone is like this guy's a fraud and i'm gonna figure it out but he's like he's looking at the books he doesn't think they're real and he goes he's a pretty good fraud honestly like wow they're they're all real books i think uh, part of me thinks that allied that it's a drunk guy in a library yeah is that trying to educate your your way into society doesn't work, and then he just end up drunk, but around a bunch of books. <laughs> and he's right, oh, right, and and th- this fits in with the fact that the, uh, the owl-eyed guy he's upset that the books, uh, the pages are uncut. Essentially, means the books never been opened or read. Yes, um, but uh, I also think this is also Fitzgerald making fun of himself. Why he has a drunk? Because Fitzgerald was a a terrible alcoholic. Yeah. he almost killed himself a few times with alcohol. Uh, and that's I th- think this is him making fun of how he did parties on um, and fancy parties is that <laughs> he would end up drunk, too drunk to be around people and would just be around books and go to the library. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is also poking fun of it himself. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, this fellow is a regular Belasco. The owl eyed guy calls him. I looked it up. There's like a playwright named Belasco from around that time who wrote a bunch of plays. So here's the Belasco thing. Uh, I it took a little bit of digging, but the Blasco thing is Blasco was known for his sets. He had like the best sets. He changed the set and lighting game. And, and actually, okay, I found out he uh, so like, he'd like do more than an, anyone. Like I guess like they had like he had like a real functioning laundromat on stage for one play. Mm. He had a real. I guess um he the rumor was he cut out like three walls of like a flop house room and just had it crane lifted into like a theater. Mm-hmm. And then had that be the set, and that actually sounds exactly like the thing with the uh, the Gothic library, probably transported complete from some ruin overseas. So, like, I think that this guy is kind of legendary in the theater of the time. So this guy is like the only guy who gets it, that. Like, this is all a put upon thing. I love that. That I love this guy for that reason. The he's, only is a drunk in the library, yeah. and he's like, "Guys, this is clearly fake. This guy 
is putting on a show for some dark reason. <laughs> yeah, right. There's no yeah, like what if I don't know what you're after, then I then you should be suspicious. The fact that he's letting people into his house every weekend. Yes. For for what? And and there's one guy who suspects it and it's and it's my my favorite my favorite drunk, Mr. Owl Eyes. Yeah, the owl eyed drunk. <laughs> um And he's like doing like a detective thing, like, Who brought you? Or did you just come? I was brought. Most people were brought. Like he wants to get to the bottom of it, but he's drunk. I love this. Yeah, uh, yeah. He goes, I was brought by a woman named Roosevelt, he continued. Mrs. Claude Roosevelt. Do you know her? I met her somewhere last night. I've been drunk for about a week now, and I <laughs> thought I might sober me up to sit in the library. One, that's funny. But two, there's a, a few. I, I'm not sure if he's, like, so drunk that, like, Claude is, I don't think is a woman's name. <laughs> so he doesn't know her name. Two, she's married, and this married woman brought him to this party. Mrs. Claude Roosevelt. That'd be funny. Or uh, is yeah. his wife. <laughs> right. Oh, well, yeah. You like the thing about well, you do like Mrs. and then the husband's full name. Oh, like that's Mrs. Good Terrence Hartnett would be my wife. And that's what she will be called. <laughs> uh. <laughs> she will change her first name. <laughs> we will go to the courthouse and like, is your wife taking your name? Yep. First and last. Yeah, the whole thing, baby. She can keep her middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then he goes, so he goes, uh, I've only been in here an hour. Did I tell you about the books? They're real. So he, he's so drunk that he doesn't even remember he just told them about the books. Yes. But also, I met her somewhere last night. Uh, I've been drunk for about a week. So there's some time contradictions of like, did he meet her at the party last night? Yeah. Was it some party in New York he met her at last night? He's been So he's been raging beyond this party for a whole week. Yeah, I know. Jeez. And so he just ended up here. So basically, he was so drunk he ended up at a, this Gatsby party. And he's the only one who can figure out, like, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. Everyone else is, is bought in wholesale. Wait, I, a little bit, I think, I can't tell yet. I've been only here an hour. So he's just been in the library an hour. Yeah, trying to sober up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you told us about the books, man. All right. There was, here's again that one point I was making. There was dancing now on the canvas in the garden. Old men pushing young girls backwards in internal graces circles. So once again, girls. It's not, it's old dancing. men and young girls. Yeah, and like that's a that's a pretty aggressive way to describe dancing. Old men are pushing young girls backward in eternal graceless <laughs> circles. So he's calling them all bad dancers. Yep, graceless. Yeah. Um, and also once again, it's like age get age difference is huge in this chapter. Um, and I think may I think it's all all these men are trying to recapture their youth. Yep. Gatsby's trying to, and all these old men are. <clears throat> and even Daisy is in this book. Nick is the only one who's trying to run away from uh, his past. Everyone Nick. else is trying to run to it. Um, and a great number of single girls dancing individualistically or relieving the orchestra for a moment of the burden of the banjo or the traps. I don't get that. Are these girls grabbing instruments and playing along? Relieving the orchestra for a moment of the burden of the banjo or tree. Yes, these girls are playing the instruments. They're and like this is Fitzgerald sarcastically going like, "Yeah, I'm sure this guy who owns the banjo and plays for a living is dying to give it up to this girl who's wasted at a party." <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let me play it. Let's see. The stunts. People are doing stunts. People like are doing stunts all over the garden. People, it's just people are getting wild. Uh, it's getting late. Champagne was served in glasses bigger than finger bowls. The moon had risen higher, and floating in the sound was a triangle of silver scales, trembling a little to the stiff. 
tinny drip of the banjos on the lawn. Um, so this is interesting. So he's sitting with Gatsby right now and does not know. I know. I love this. I was still with Jordan Baker. We were sitting at a table with a man of about my age and a rowdy little girl. So once again, Nick's about 30. And he was a rowdy little girl. Yeah, if you're a, if you're if you at all you know question this, then uh, it's we have five examples in like as many pages. So just relax. This is girls. I was enjoying myself now. I had taken two finger bowls of champagne, and the scene had changed before my eyes into something significant, elemental, and profound. One, that's a nice sentence. But two, he's drunk again. Yeah, and he's lying about how much he drinks. Oh yeah. Um, Let's see. So the, him and Gatsby are old war buddies, it turns out. Your face is familiar. Weren't you in the third division during the war? Or though they're war acquaintances. I uh, I looked this up. Third division of the World War One is a famous division. Oh, wow. Uh, they uh, held, they basically defended Paris from the German advance for a long time. They're called the, the Rock of the Marne, they're called. Because they, they lined up at the river right by Paris and he was in the machine gun battalion. So Nick was machine gunning down German soldiers Jeez. as they tried to invade Paris. Nick. So he has PTSD for sure. Let him have a drink. Have a drink, man. You could be drunk. You don't have to lie okay. about it. You killed a bunch of Germans <laughs> trying to get into Paris. Um, so 7th Infantry did – I looked it up. If it's the 7th Infantry of the 3rd Division, it uh, – He's, he was there until June 1918. Uh, all the battle stuff for the 3rd Division happened in July 1918. So he would have left right before the battles. Okay. Uh, Gatsby. Seven, until yeah. June 1918. Got 7th it. Infantry didn't uh, do much much battling either until later uh, in 1918, like November 1918. So Gatsby, if this is true what he says here... Was not a relevant part of any sort of World War One. Not a real, yeah. Not a. He didn't see. The, he didn't see the action. And not that. Hey, we're not saying anything bad hey. about Gatsby's stealing valor. Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for the image he's trying to project of himself. It'd be no here's, new thing. Here's something that doesn't quite add up, and it's a little detail, but it's just another thing that doesn't quite add up in his uh, life. Um, both these infantries are based. The American base is in Georgia. Uh, which is interesting because that's where uh, uh, I think it's because he meets Daisy Zelda, on base. Zelda well, is in Alabama and then Daisy's in Louisville. Um, so both these places aren't based where they should be uh, for him to either meet uh, for him to meet Daisy. He wouldn't be in Louisville with his base. Oh, uh, gotcha. Oh, is yeah. She's in Louis. That's where they met in this book. Louisville. Yeah. yeah. And actually, you could go there um, to Louisville. And there's still the bar where Fitzgerald drank because he did go to Louisville a lot. Oh, why? Uh, I think it was something to do with um, – I forgot exactly why. But there's a, a bar there where he used to drink and you could get a Fitzgerald cocktail. Of course you can. <laughs> I like Louisville. I've been there once. I had a great time. Um, that's my That's Louisville. official podcast Shout recommendation. Shout out to Louisville. <laughs> go to Louisville. Check it out. Um, <laughs> so, But what I want to point out is that he talks to this man for a while, with yeah. Gatsby for a little while. And he doesn't have an effect on him whatsoever. It's just a guy. Yeah. Um, we talked for a moment about some wet gray little villages in France. Evidently, he lived in his vicinity for told me that he had just bought a hydroplane and was going to try it out in the morning. Want to go with me, old sport, just near the shore along the Sound? What time? Any time that suits you best. I was on the tip of my tongue to ask his name, and Jordan looked around and smiled. Having a gay time now, she inquired. And this is like a modern interpretation, but it is kind of funny that 
our theory is that. <laughs> yes, it's kind of funny that she says gay, Kevin. I did look it up, though, but gay in that slang time, it wasn't just happy. It meant free from sexual mores. It usually meant, like, you were, at that time, he's like, you were free to, like, you were cheating on your. Gotcha. It was, like, a good time that was almost decadent. Yeah, okay. Um, But in 1922, and um, I looked it up, it was, uh, what's her name? Virginia Woolf had a passage, one of her books, where gay was meant homosexual. Homosexual. Okay. Uh, much better I turned again to my new acquaintance this is an unusual party for me I haven't even seen the host I live over there I wave my hand at the invisible hedge in the distance and this man Gatsby sent his chauffeur with an invitation so he tells another person he's invited yeah and like I uh, live yeah. over there and I've been invited just so you know I was invited He, he d- this man does not care he, yeah. no one else knows why they're there <laughs> but he's like has to tell a stranger that he's invited For a moment, he looked at me as if he failed to understand. I'm Gatsby, he said uh, suddenly. What? I exclaimed. Oh, I beg your pardon. I thought you knew, old sport. I'm afraid I'm not a very good host. He smiled understandingly. So what's interesting is that he looked at me as he didn't understand, and then he looked at me as if he did understand. understand. Yeah. That's a weird jump. It's like, oh, I, I get it. But here comes a very romantic passage about Gatsby and who he is. And you know what you just pointed out to me is that like listen this doesn't come out until he uh, until he understands that this guy is Gatsby. So like all this flowery language about the smile that he's getting. He's been that guy's been smiling at him for probably the last 10 minutes. Exactly, but now that he knows it's Gatsby and his reputation is attached to the man, now this smile means this much more. Go ahead and Yeah. Look at this. this is crazy. He smiled understandingly, much more than understandingly. It was one of those rare smiles with a quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced, or seemed to face, the whole external world for an instant, and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. It understood you just as far as you wanted to be understood, believed in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and assured you that it had precisely the impression of you that, at your best, you hoped to convey. Precisely at that point it vanished, and I was looking at an elegant young roughneck, a year or two over thirty, whose elaborate formality of speech just missed being absurd. Sometime before he introduced himself, I'd got a strong impression that he was picking these words with care. So then, so that's a one, a beautiful passage. But also, like, and our, our, he's attracted to Gatsby theory. That's a, long, that's a long page about a man's smile. That's true. That's true. Uh, and that's a smile that, like, that's a legendary smile. Oh, yeah. It's not like he has a, a quirky smile that was kind of interesting. No. It was one of four or five smiles you will come across in a lifetime that reached into your soul and knew who you were. It contains <laughs> multitudes. Yeah, it, it really makes you feel uh, very special. Clearly, it so, worked. But clearly, it worked on Nick. Yeah. That he felt understood and appreciated. And as someone in our theory is trying to hide something, that he feels understood is huge. Right, because he's so he feels so separate. He's run away from home. He doesn't he's been pressured into marrying a bunch of people. Uh he clearly is not happy with what's going on. And now here's a man who with a smile seemed to understand all his problems. But he only cared about that smile when he realized it was a rich man. It was the Gatsby. Once he figured out that it's Gatsby, yeah. Yeah. Gatsby gets a call from Chicago. He's gotta go. If you want anything, just ask for it, old sport. He urged me. <laughs> Excuse me, I will rejoin you later. And I think that's just an interesting line of... Because it's a challenge to Nick. Because Nick's big thing is you do not want anything. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then Gatsby's thing is, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> this is my amazing. Yeah. Have whatever you want. Yeah. Little, I could afford it. Okay. Let's see here. And then where? Then Nick goes. Um, who is he? I demanded. Do you know? Now he's demanding information on Gatsby. So now he's fascinated. More, yeah, more speculation from Nick now. But like, demanding. he's like, yeah, demanding. Yeah, he's ecstatic different tone. about this. Like, different tone. Now he has to know. Where is he from, I mean? And what does he do? So now Nick is like really into Gatsby. Yeah. The he's same way, like, if like, it's like, who's that girl? Yeah, who's that? Oh, that's like, yeah, that's true. Just a man named Gatsby. I think we. he told me once he was an Oxford man. However, I don't believe it. So Jordan just doesn't believe that he went to Oxford. I just don't. I, jo- just, I don't know. Jordan is not part of his charms. Yeah, you're right. Jordan's not really. Yeah, he, he, all I know is he throw uh, he throws large parties, and I like large parties. They're so intimate. At large parties, there isn't any privacy. At small parties, there isn't any privacy. Great line. That's a great line. line. That's a famous line. Famous insight. Then uh, they play a jazz song called "Jazz History of the World," which I think just is a minor thing of like. Jazz is changing the way of all society, and society is getting jazzed up, and now we're reinterpreting ourselves in this new context of this new culture. Yeah. Um, Jazz. Let's see here. And then Jordan wants to speak to Gatsby, and it's just a little bit of mystery. Gatsby – no, Gatsby Gatsby wants to speak with Jordan. He he sends his butler to talk to her to get her. Gatsby gets her – yeah, Jordan. Um, So Jordan goes to speak with Gatsby. Here's a quick line that maybe he's not that into Jordan. She go, he go, uh, Nick goes, I noticed that she wore her evening dress, all her dresses, like sports clothes. There was a jauntiness about her movements as if she had first learned to walk upon golf course on clean, crisp mornings. <laughs> she's like, oh, he just walks like she's in sports clothes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's not exactly a feminine. Uh, and maybe even as far as like Jordan might be a lesbian. Because here's also an, a 30-year-old unmarried woman. Everyone's gay. Everyone's <laughs> gay. <laughs> Gay Gatsby. <laughs> um, let's see. I don't even know about me. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, here, yeah, but right. But I remember, like, the first time I read this, I was like, "Oh man, Gatsby's trying to move in on Nick Carraway's girl." And it's like, <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, no, no. Young, Here's young another man. joke about the undergraduate, alluding alluding Jordan's undergraduate, who is now engaged in an obstetrical conversation with two chorus girls. So he's talking about pussy with these. Wait, <laughs> no, he's not obstetrical. What's that? That's uh. OBGYN. Oh, obstetrical. That's the OB part? Yeah. Get out of here. You can't say the P word on this podcast. Oh, Mr. it's an anti P word? All right. <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> um, let's dare see. you. You can say obstetrical if you want. Yeah. Obst- obstetrical. Then there's a girl crying while oh, she played the piano. That's yeah. just funny. That's She's a singing bit. And crying. So this girl is, uh, uh, is just playing the piano, fighting. Because she had a fight with a man who says he's her husband, uh, which is like a funny line about who everyone says they are. And everyone is like, they just say they are. I don't have any proof, but I also don't really believe it. It's a weird thing to say. Yeah. That this man says he's your husband. Uh, but they're like, you should play the notes on your face because she's crying her makeup. Yeah. Another which is a mean bit. thing to say to a crying well, woman. Well, yeah. Like but the, also a good joke. <laughs> and it's, yeah, you can really picture the visual. Like it's, it is, it's like crisp, it's crisp and clear. It's wild. Yeah. Really well described, like humorous scene, but it's so well described that it becomes poignant. That this like crying girl is playing the piano and trying to sing, and everyone's kind of like making fun of her. And then makes fun of her, and you're like, and then you, yeah, then you get sad again. It's funny. It's like funny, and then sad again. It's like, listen, don't make, don't laugh, don't laugh at her. 
Um, another funny scene is these, um, the, like the the couples fighting here. Like you know, like we whenever he says, he uh, so it's like a lot of couples are fighting. It turns yeah. out. Whenever he sees him, sees him having a good time, he wants to go home. Never heard of anything so selfish in my life. So the, all the girls are agreeing with each other. We're always the first ones to leave. So are we. Well, we're <laughs> almost the last tonight, said one of the men sheepishly. So even the man's like, all right, just keep it. Yeah. <laughs> the orchestra left half an hour ago. In spite of the w- this wives' agreement that such malevolence was beyond credibility, the dispute ended in a short struggle, and both wives were lifted, kicking into the night. <laughs> it was a different time. So this was funny. Like, this husband just like, come on, you drunk girls. <laughs> yeah, they just pick them up and, and, uh, and take them out of the party. Is, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a like, little, little funny... Uh, misogynistic vignette so jordan comes out of hanging out with gatsby she's like hey i got a big secret whoops i can't tell i hate this yeah don't do that to somebody come on um so and then nick wants to talk to gatsby one more time to apologize for not recognizing him gatsby says don't mention it he joined me eagerly he joined me eagerly don't give it another thought old sport the familiar expression held no more familiarity than the hand which reassuringly brushed my shoulder and don't forget, we're going up in the hydroplane tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. It's coming pretty quick here. It's it's seven hours away. They're yeah. gonna go in a. <laughs> it's a, like two in the morning. And a hydroplane is just a boat. I it, I thought it was like a like a seaplane. I thought yeah. they're gonna go. They're gonna fly. It's just a speedboat. It's just a, it's like a special kind of boat okay. that planes on top of the water. Okay, what well, the familiar expression held no more familiarity than the hand which reassuringly brushed on my shoulder. So is he saying that the that there that there's no familiarity in that? Right, the familiarity. The familiar expression held no more. Uh, yeah, familiarity. I think it's, he's saying it's being he's being kind of robotic because he's, he's being formal at the end of the party. Yeah. But well, then they say goodnight to each other five times. <laughs> All right. In a minute, tell them I'll be right there. Good night. Good night. Good night. So three good nights in a row. Oh wow. He smiled, and suddenly there seemed to be a pleasant significance in having been among the last to go, as if he had desired it all the time. So Nick is like, "Oh, he likes me again." So Nick is smitten with Gatsby. Yeah. yeah. Even if he doesn't isn't attracted to him, he has a like a friend crush on Gatsby. It's at least so a man, yeah, the man, a man crush the way that you have with a friend, yeah. Good night, old sport. Good night. So he says good night to Nick four times, and Nick says good night to him twice. Um. So let's see here. <laughs> then there's another funny scene about this guy crashes his car in a ditch. Love this scene. Very well portrayed. Yeah, this is a funny chapter. This is like funnier than the last chapter. This is really funny. Yeah, there's like bits in here. Yeah, this is like this is a bunch of goofs. So allies in the library. Um. Is uh, is he walks out of a crash car that's crashing the ditch? Old allies, and everyone goes, "Hey, how did it happen?" And he goes, "I know nothing, whatever, about mechanics." He said decisively. But how did it happen? Did you run into the wall? Don't ask me," said allies, washing their hands of the whole matter. "I know very little about driving, next to nothing. It happened, and that's all I know." Well, if you're a poor driver, you ought to try driving at night. But I wasn't even trying," he explained indignantly. "I wasn't <laughs> even trying." An odd hush fell upon the bystanders. "Do you want to commit suicide?" <laughs> You're lucky it was just a wheel, a bad driver, and not even trying. You don't understand, explained the criminal. I wasn't driving. There's another man in the car. So it's a classic reveal joke. Like, everyone's yelling at this drunk man for crashing his car. Yeah. And he can't explain that he wasn't the one driving. Well, at first, it was kind of funny. I thought he was saying, like, uh, like what, what, you were trying to drive? He's like, no, I wasn't trying. Yeah, exactly. What he means is he wasn't driving. But so there's, like, a misunderstanding of, like, oh, this guy was like, oh, I don't even care. I'm going to crash into the car. And he's so, like, no, please. I, I was, I'm not driving. So funny. Classically, Ebbett and Costello funny. Yeah. Um, and then ever, the crowd goes, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the guy walks out of it. Uh, the dr- the driver walks out of the car and goes, what's the matter? So he even pronounces it in drunk 
phrase. Oh, yeah. Did we run out of gas? <laughs> That's just what we think. How <laughs> drunk are you if you lose the wheel to your car and your first guess says we ran out of gas? Uh, so look, half a dozen fingers pointed at the amputated wheel. He stared at it for a moment and looked upward as though he suspected that it dropped from the sky. <laughs> it came off, someone explained. He nodded. At first, I didn't notice we stopped. A pause. Then taking a long breath and straightening his shoulders, he remarked in a determined voice, Wonder if he'll tell me where there's a gasoline station. <laughs> so he's trying to <laughs> he figure still fix thinks it. that he's out of gas. <laughs> Just give me some gas. At least a dozen men, some of them a little better off than he was, explained to him that wheel and car were no longer joined by any physical bond. Back out, he suggested after a moment. Put her in reverse. But the wheel's off. He hesitated. No harm in trying, he <laughs> said. So he's so adamant of like, I'm going to drive this car that I destroyed. <laughs> And then here's an interesting part. This is where Nick talks about himself. Reading over what I have written so far, I see I've given the impression that the events of three nights several weeks apart were all that absorbed me. On the contrary, they were merely casual events in a crowded summer. And until much later, they absorbed me infinitely less than my personal affairs. One that's interesting about that, he's very defensive. Ah. He's like, no, I'm not absorbed by these events. These weren't the most important parts of my life at that moment. But he also says, in hindsight, they are important. He's saying uh, they like, and and until much later. So now he's like, these are the big parts of my life. Yeah. So, so they've been given significance now. He almost now. doesn't realize that he, how he felt about this world until later. Yeah, his contempt is clear now. He's like expressing it right. Or Not even contempt, like that how much he loved it for a moment. Right, right. What? Yeah, because like if the biggest deal is his first party, that's a big deal. Right. Like even the parts with like uh, the other parties and like the first part, like he seems to actually like being part of this world. Yeah. As much as he always is dissing himself, he goes to everything. Right. Like to him, I think it, w when he was living it, the main part of the, his main story was like, I'm a bondsman. I do. I go to lunch with these people. I, uh, you know, I have dinner at the at the Yale Club. I do this and that. I'm learning bonds. But looking back, it's much more significant, these weekend things. Yeah. He was more into this very hyper-specific social world. Um, but even stuff like at the last party when he was with – he didn't like the party. But he found out he could have left at any moment because when he did leave, no one stopped him. Yeah. Um, and then there's just his sad life alone. <laughs> um, it's like I knew the other clerks and young bond salesmen by their first names and lunch with them in the dark, crowded restaurants on little pig sausages and mashed potatoes and coffee. I even had a short affair with a girl who lived in Jersey City <gasps> and worked in the accounting department, but her brother began throwing mean looks in my direction. So when she went away on her vacation in July, I let it blow away quietly. Chalk one up for team bisexual for those keeping track at home. <laughs> so that's interesting. Both in a lot of ways in that, one, he had an affair. He called it an affair with a girl. Yep. Two... He was scared off by a brother. He's, he's <laughs> yes. a thirty-year-old man. <laughs> right, like so, so. Like I was excited when I read this because I was like, "Oh, I got, I got a point. I got a point for this." You know, like he ju he just says he had an affair. Period. No, nothing weird about it. I mean, and then you countered. I mean, like he's scared off pretty easily by this brother. At the very least, no affection towards women is per like passionate or permanent enough for him to. Uh, like hurdle over the slightest obstacle <laughs> right right a brother giving him looks looks not even looks. words never even said like hey what are your intentions with my sister right. Or maybe that's what it was like you better marry her and he's like no please i'm just doing this so that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah please 
don't make me marry your sister. I just want to be seen with a woman every once in a while. Yeah, I do wonder what he, what he means by an affair. Um, but I think I think this uh, counts uh, f- uh, towards my theory of bisexuality. And I will say that I agree that he probably is genuinely into these girls, but not uh, but such a low level. <laughs> right. I mean, you can see with Jordan that he like yeah like uh, he doesn't exactly he's not exactly a passionate man in, with these things. Um, and then he says, uh, and then he also lets it blow away, like he did his engagement. Every right. every problem in his life, he usually lets just drift away. Oh man, such a lonely. This is like it's it gets real lonely real quick here. Yeah, I took dinner usually at the Yale Club. For some reason, it was the gloomiest event of my day. I think this is a burn because he went to Princeton, and he's saying the Yale oh, Club okay. stinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, Whatever. And then he kind of just studies. And then this is, I began to like New York, the racy, adventurous feel of it at night, and the satisfaction that the constant flicker of men and women and machines gives to the restless eye. Just a nice sentence. Mm-hmm. I like to walk up Fifth Avenue and pick out romantic women from the crowd, and imagine that in a few minutes I was going to enter into their lives and no one would ever know or disapprove. So that is a fascinating sentence. Yeah. What he means by that. Yeah, I know. So on the surface, he sees these... R- beautiful women and he goes i want to be with these hot mamas uh but he says i entered their lives and no one knows or disapproves yeah which is i think i mean like first of all we know nick Carraway by now you know he's looking for approval i mean like at this party with the invitation he, the he brother the brother's right. disapproval threw right. him for a loop he's a pleaser so it moves on to uh, sometimes in my mind I followed them to their apartments on the corners of hidden streets and they turned and smiled back at me before they faded through a door into warm darkness. So this is his wildest fantasy <laughs> that he follows a strange woman at a comfortable pace to her apartment and then she turns and says, hey, I don't mind that you were following. Me. Yeah, exactly. That's all. That's all there is. Just so just he's given as much to fantasy as Gatsby is. Yeah, right. Uh, he's and he just wants to look into their lives a little bit. I think yeah, he's more of a voyeur. Well, okay, yeah, I mean the vo- voyeurism, yeah, voyeurism in Nick Carraway should be addressed, right? I mean, yeah. like this does this does make sense in in what we know of Nick Carraway as a narrator that he loves looking on and making judgments and just peeking into their lives a little he's bit. He likes to be within and without. He yeah. likes to watch it from the sidelines. So in that way, this is pr- this does fit pretty nicely. Um, but it doesn't seem romantic. Right, no, Kevin? I don't yeah. think it's that romantic of a moment. I don't think it's if it is romance, it's a very weird, quiet, repressed romance. And he calls them romantic women, but I think he doesn't mean it in the I think it's just like they're they're traditionally beautiful and dressed. Capital nice. R romantic, yeah. Yeah. Um then he's just kind of just sad sentences. Yeah. Uh, again at eight o'clock when the dark lanes of the forties were five deep with robbing taxicabs bound for the theater district, I felt a sinking in my heart. Forms leaned together in the taxis as they waited, and voices sang, and there was laughter from unheard jokes and lighted cigarettes outlined unintelligible gestures inside. Imagining that I, too, was hurrying toward gaiety and sharing their intimate excitement, I wished them well. So he's standing like, hey, I'm going to a party, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's so sad. It's all imagining you're not lonely when you, in fact, are. Yeah. Poor Nick Carraway. Uh, For a while, this is his description of his relationship with Jordan, which is fascinating. For a while, I lost sight of Jordan Baker. And then in midsummer, I found her again. At first, I was flattered to go places with her because she was a golf champion and everyone knew her name. So she is famous. She's famous. So weird. Then it was something more. I wasn't actually in love, but I felt a sort of tender curiosity. Like the, like brother-sister love. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Sure. Uh, the <laughs> bored, haughty face that she turned to the world concealed something. More affectations conceal something eventually, even though they don't in the beginning. 
and one day I found out wh- what it was. When we were on a house party together up in Warwick, she left a borrowed car out in the rain with a top down and then lied about it. And suddenly I remembered the story about her that eluded me that night at Daisy's. At her first big golf tournament, there was a row that nearly reached the newspapers, a suggestion that she had moved her ball from a bad lie in the semifinal round. The thing approached the proportions of a scandal, then died away. A caddy retracted his statement, and the only other witness admitted that he might have never been mistaken. The incident and the name had remained together in my mind. Jordan Baker instinctively avoided clever, shrewd men, and now I saw that this was because she felt safer on a plane where any divergence from a code would be thought impossible. But like, why is she with you if she avoids crude, schle- are you not I know. shrewd, so, clever men? I don't know. He seems, well, yeah, she goes on to explain what she liked about him in a minute. Yes. Um, but also I want to point out from that passage, Nick loves to figure people out. Yeah. That's yeah. his big thing, is he loves to look behind the mask, and Gatsby's a mask he couldn't figure out. So I think that's part of the fascination, Yeah, is that Gatsby's the one heart he couldn't fully figure out, because he never knew it was real, and it was a well-put-together mask. But two, I think it's because he has so much to hide. That, Nick? Yeah, Nick has so much to hide that he has to figure out to read what's underneath everyone else because he has so much that's broiling. Well, even, him. I mean, like, if you look at the th- it's like the things he says in this in this novel in terms of the things he thinks and, 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 is, and is observing, yeah. he's not, a, yeah, he's, a, he's got a huge mask. Yeah. Clearly. Um, this is, uh, one, sexist, but kind of funny. She was incurably dishonest. She wasn't even able to endure being at a disadvantage, and given this unwillingness, I suppose she had begun dealing in subterfuges when she was very young in order to keep that cool, insolent smile turned to the world and yet satisfy the demands of her hard, jaunty body. It's the one that's a roast. <laughs> <laughs> she's a liar, but she's got to do it because she's got a gross body. <laughs> she's got to satisfy the demands of her hard, jaunty body. Wow. Uh, it made no difference to me. Dishonesty in a woman is a thing you never blame deeply. So that's like such a <laughs> yeah. that's such a 1920s line. Yep. That all women are just a little bit dishonest. You know what? They're all liars. And whatever. they have long hair. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I was casually sorry, and then I forgot. <laughs> Boy. That's so dismissive. <laughs> it was on the same house party that we had a curious conversation about driving a car. It started because she passed so close to some workmen that her fender flicked a button on one man's coat. That's funny. That's a That's bit. That's just a bit. Yeah. Like, you got to be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sproing, ding, ding, ding. The, the bit button what's that? The Wilhelm scream. He Wilhelm screams, dives into a ditch. Um, whoa. You're a rotten driver, I protested. Either you ought to be more careful or you oughtn't to drive at all. I am careful. No, you're not. Well, other people are, she said lightly. <laughs> what's that got to do with it? Well, keep out of my way, she insisted. It takes two to make an accident. And that at the epicenter is the theme of the book. Thank you, man. You beat me to it. Exactly. That it takes two two people have to make a mistake for there to be a real disaster. Yeah, two reckless or uncaring people can do something real damage. Yeah, as long as yeah, as long as they're kind of in a conspiracy. If yeah. They're protected by careful people, and they get to be careless because there's careful people. But when they're around other careless people, they hurt each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, suppose you meet somebody. You met somebody just as careless as yourself. I hope I never will, she answered. I hate careless people. That's why I like you. Her she co- likes him for being careful. He's like, you're a careful careless. man. Yeah. yeah. Nick Carraway, you are a careful man. Her gray, sun-strained eyes stared straight ahead, but she had deliberately shifted our relations, and for a moment I thought I loved her. But I am slow thinking and full of interior rules that act as breaks in my desires. One, very Midwestern. Two, very suspicious. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, very mid- mis- repress repressing your desires, breaks in your desires. Yeah, interior rules. And I knew that first. I had to get myself definitely out of that tangle back home. So he's still in that thing back home. Right, but like we talked about this. I mean, like he isn't 
he isn't giving very much thought to the thing back home. This is the only mention we get right here. But also, what about that affair with that girl in Jersey? You didn't have to finish the thing back home for that affair back in Jersey? Right. So here's someone really throwing him, herself at him. Yeah. And now he's like, now I have all these rules about what I have to do. Right. I guess in 1925, if you say, that's why I like you, it's like, you know, it's basically like, that's, uh, we can be we can we go steady. engaged next yeah. week. <laughs> Uh, I had been writing letters once a week and signing them Love Nick. And all I can think of was how when that certain girl played tennis, a faint mustache of perspiration appeared on the, her upper lip. That's a weird detail. Well, Kev, don't you you ever think you ever think back uh, at an old flame it uh, didn't exactly go right and you, and you, and you think of her mustache lip? That yeah, her sweaty happened? mustache lip? Oh yeah, and it's wet. And it's, a and it's sweaty not in a good wet way. mustache lip when she's playing, playing tennis. tennis. But weirdly another athlete. Ah, maybe he's got type. Yeah, athletic women who act like men. <laughs> <laughs> the mannish ones who yes. don't like me. But that's such a weird me. detail to like. Um, Fitzgerald puts every detail in there on purpose. I and know. I can't imagine what I that would mean. I see nothing. Yeah, I challenge you, professors. Talk me through. And all I could think of was how when that certain girl played tennis, a faint mustache of perspiration appeared on her upper lip. Nevertheless, there was a vague understanding that had to be tactfully broken off wait, before wait. I was free. So nevertheless, meaning uh, mustache sweat aside, I need to break it off with this girl b- before I get anything with yeah. going with Jordan. Yes. Everyone sus- suspects himself of at least one of the cardinal virtues, and this is mine. I am one of the few honest people that I have ever known. And that's, one, a beautiful sentence. Yes. I think it's true also that people do uh, – everyone's like – like, listen, I'm not a perfect person, but I am, you know, I admit when I'm wrong or whatever, you know. Yes. And I also think it's a BS sentence. Yeah? That he doesn't think he's honest? Because, no, I no. think he thinks he's honest, but anyone who says they're honest, the same way any, like, like Donald Trump just tweeted, I am a very stable genius. Yeah, I know, yeah. You don't say it when you are that. You don't need to say it if you are it. If you're the narrator of this book, we inherently have to believe you. So you told the audience, hey. I'm an honest person, yeah. so you believe what I'm saying, okay? Right. And you start to suspect, why does someone need to say that? Yes. Right. Why would anyone have to say that? Yeah. That's such a weird thing to say. So I think what he's saying is, you believe me because I'm not telling the whole story, but I need you to believe it's the whole story. Yeah. Because this whole thing is so weird, and he's determined to make himself look good. That's true, right. And this is where the un- unreliable narrator idea comes in. He, he's got, a, he's got an, an agenda. He's a drunk with PTSD. Yeah. Who is dealing with repressed feelings and a confusion about himself. Um, And now he's this honest person where – and maybe it's only his honesty applies outward and his honesty can't apply inward. No, it's not. I mean, mean, he sees Gatsby with rose-colored glasses, clearly. Yes. Right? I mean, like, Gatsby is definitely at fault. He's a criminal who never gets – no one – he never judges Gatsby for his his criminal past or for his recklessness or for any of the stuff that happens later. But just being a fool about – Daisy, like, why yeah. would, that's just like just so unpleasant. The wrong way. If yeah. your if my friend was like that, I'd be like, you know what? I can't be your friend anymore. Yeah, this you're, is so weird. <laughs> this is a fixation, and it's unhealthy. Yeah. Um, there's a one little detail that we skipped over that I wanted to uh, bring up. It's just like another little cool thing that Fitzgerald do, does with details. Um, but the back to that library scene. Um, let's see here. We got the owl, owl-eyed man in the library. We're looking at this gothic library. All these books. He Let's says, see, where is it? Um, he didn't think they were real. What do you think? Yeah. Um, and then he comes back with a book. 
Oh, yeah. For, yeah, 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 of course. This is such a good detail. So Owl Eyes comes back. He's to prove the real. He comes back with Stoddard Lecture, the volume one of the Stoddard Lecture. So yeah. I looked this up because all of Fitzgerald's details are there by Purvis. And he could have said any book. Mm-hmm. He could have just said a book. But yeah. he says the Stoddard Lectures. So I looked it up. Stoddard Lectures are written by a gentleman. Last name Stoddard. I forgot his first name. But he wrote a series of travel essays and just general multicultural analysis, kind of like praising the different cultures of the world. Which is, yeah, revolutionary, right? Yeah. So this was in, uh, he was an intellectual of his time. Mm-hmm. In the first chapter, uh, Tom r- is talking about a book written by a man, a man, he says, by a man named Goddard. Yeah. Called The Rise of the Colored Empires. You look that up, that's a real book. It's a thinly veiled version uh, or. It's by a man also named Stoddard. Yeah. Uh, so it's either a joke that Tom doesn't even know the name of the author of the book he loves, or it's thinly veiled because this was written around the same time and it was very popular. It was like the Fox the Rise News. Rise of the Colored Empires was? Yeah. 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 It was like the Fox News book of the year where everyone had to read this racist yeah. book to like know what's going on. So wait, just to reiterate. So like the book the book that the owl eyed man shows them in, in the thing is it's a real book by a guy named Stoddard. His yeah. son... So, yes, the son wrote the book that Tom likes. This author's, yeah, the uh, the son of the author of that book wrote a book called The Rise of the Colored Empires. Yes. Very uh, racist book. A very racist book, very anti-Semitic. Uh, he, his son in general is very anti-Semitic um, as his main trait. So Gatsby owns the book about the man who loves multiculturalism and travel <laughs> and the, the importance of being very cultured. And Gatsby is a self-made man just like the intellect, the, the, Stoddard. the Stoddard is. Yep. He was uh, uh, just kind of a guy who went to seminary school, actually, and then went into intellectualism. Uh, And so he's a self-made man, and he is very big into other cultures and just, like, celebrating the world. And then Tom, who is a a man of uh, inherited Inherited wealth, wealth, likes the book by the man also who inherited wealth. With inherited wealth and inherited uh, intellectual fame. Fame, yeah. Who wrote, uh, multiculturalism is bad. (laughs) Yeah. So Gatsby and... And Tom are, like, from the same line of, like, this is what happens. Like, Gatsby's son would be Tom. Yeah, yeah, right. Once you become rich, yeah. If you're new rich, your kids are going to be old rich. You're only new rich for a generation. Yes. And old rich makes you racist and weird. (laughs) So Fitzgerald is very critical that being old rich makes you terrible. Yeah. New rich can make you fascinating, but usually it makes you sloppy and drunk. Yeah. (laughs) So that was just like a weird detail that I noticed that like it's a really hot one, such a little things in this book that like you have to look up all these references because he's making a point in all of them of like, why did he pick this specific thing? Right. And it's for some reason for some metaphor. Yeah. There's like metaphors within metaphors within metaphors. And that's why this book is so much fun to talk about because we just we're talking about. 15 pages of text and we go on for an hour. And I 15. know. I know. We're, and we're trying. We're, and, we're, and we're rushing we're to get through it. <laughs> yeah. But another, this is a big chapter. We get the party. We get first meeting of Gatsby. Yeah. Uh, we get sort of an explanation of the weird relationship with Jordan. We get his lonely life outside of these worlds. So lonely. That's really sad. I love the Jordan Baker analysis. That made me pretty happy. And the fact that her backstory of a, of a cheating golfer uh, and she's going to be, and she's a, you know, she's a dishonest person we're seeing. But also we talked about it. She's a golf champion, but she's also a cheater. 
Yeah. Like another person who's very successful, but not honest about how they got successful. Yeah, yeah that's got, I mean, like the th- examples are piling up of dishonest success. So only th- everyone who's actually successful in this book is also dishonest in and, some way. And yeah, and if they are honest, uh, they are poor. <laughs> they are, they're either poor like Wilson or they're deeply sad like Nick. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick's not doing, you know, as good as Gatsby. So that's, uh, Fitzgerald's greatest criticism of America is that if you are honest in America, you will be poor and sad. Uh, but if you are a cheater, you will be a famous golf champion, a famous you... bootlegger, or just like a general jerk who loves racism. But also sad and drunk. Yes. But you can afford to be drunk. Yes. Also, oh. this, this whole party. This whole party. Alcohol is illegal for this whole party. Isn't that funny? It's like it might as well be like it might as well be like trays of cocaine being yeah. passed around. I'm not sure there was. <laughs> Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to um, point out. As he looks back, he looks back at Gatsby right as he's leaving. Oh, yeah. Wait. Yeah. The caterwauling horns had reached a crescendo, and I turned away and cut across the lawn toward home. I glanced back once. A wafer of a moon was shining over Gatsby's house, making the night fine as before, and surviving the laughter and the sound of his still glowing garden. A sudden emptiness seemed to flow now from the windows and the great doors and down with complete isolation the figure of the host, who stood on the porch, his hand up in a formal gesture of farewell. So the house itself is Gatsby of, like, all the decorations are gone, and there's this deep, deep isolation. And that's also when he he sees Gatsby one more time. Earlier he sees Gatsby. We we missed this part, too. The jazz history of the world. uh, So when the jazz history of the world was over, girls were putting their head on men. So another girl-men thing. Yeah, there it is. In puppyish, convivial way, girls were swooning backward playfully into men's arms, even into groups knowing that someone would arrest her falls. But no one swooned backward on Gatsby, and no mm. French bob touched Gatsby's shoulder, and no singing quarters were formed with Gatsby's head for one link. Oh, in the beginning, um, uh, the nature of Mr. Tostov's composition eluded me, because just as it began, my eyes fell on Gatsby. So one, once again, he's enraptured by Gatsby. Yep, staring at Gatsby. Standing alone on the marble steps and looking from one group to another with approving eyes. His tan skin was drawn attractively tight on his face. How is it? T- how is it? T- how is it? Drawn attractively oh, tight. Oh, attractively. On his face, huh. and his short hair looked as though it were trimmed every day. Good face, great haircut. I could see nothing sinister about him. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, nothing sinister about I him. I guess there's rumors that he's a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered if the fact that he was not drinking helped to set him off from his guests, for it seemed to me that he grew more correct as the fraternal hilarity increased. So he approves of the mayhem. He likes the mayhem, even though he's not drunk. He doesn't want to participate in it. He wants to cause it, but he's so isolated and alone. He's a voyeur, too. Yeah. So he, yeah. So Nick sees him. I think Nick sees him as, like, another very lonely man. Yeah. Isolated in this weird West Coast or East Coast. And someone pointed out, I think an old high school teacher pointed out, because Gatsby, we let her find out, is also from the Midwest. Oh, uh, yeah. He's a yeah. Nebraska dirt farmer. Oh yeah, you know, it's a mean term. He didn't actually farm dirt. <laughs> People need dirt. Um, so like everyone is almost everyone in this character in this book is on Midwesterner. Right. Yeah. Daisy's from Louisville. Uh, Tom is from Chicago. Oh yeah. Nick is from Minneapolis-ish area. And they're all just putting on Gatsby's this from East Nem- Coast yeah. air. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so sloppy and reckless. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great book about very lonely people. And we're already ramping up a bunch of foreshadowing about accidents and and weird uh, obsessions. Yeah, read read the book if you haven't read the book. Read read it; it's great. They they really he it is like a 
perfect formatic novel. It's yeah, I know. I'm so impressed. I'm a man who said so much in just 180 pages. I know. We're gonna talk about it for what'll end up being 10 hours. <laughs> it's and well worth it. Well worth it. So yeah, thank you guys very much for listening again. Uh, this has been the OK Gatsby episode three. Yeah. I'm Kevin. I'm Terrence Harder. Hey, and also, hey, if you uh, if you enjoy us talking about a book, um, come see us do stand up comedy. Yeah, we're at the Lincoln Lodge. Uh, it's a show in Chicago at the Undergun Theater every Friday and Saturday. And then look at us up on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at Kevin Lopkovich. Last name spelled. I do this every time in a job interview. L O B is in boy. K O V is in Victor. I C H. I am Terrence Hartnett. You can uh, hit me up on Instagram at Ha Hartnett or literally personally friend me on Facebook at Terrence Hartnett. Yeah, I, I want to be friends. one of those guys who has like uh, too many friends. I, I want to do start that. their fan base and yeah. they tell their family to like their fan base. Yeah, baby. That's what I want to do. I want to be one of those guys. That's, I think it's my new move. I'm, I'm most effective on Facebook. My Instagram is Ha Hartnett, H A H A R T N E T T. And I'm very funny in there as well. All right. Thank you guys so much. See you next time. Thanks, guys.